You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Good morning, Gateway Church. I am Rachel. I am the children's director here, and I get the honor and the privilege of sharing with you guys this morning. So this will be fun. As you know, if you've... if it's your first time here, you probably aren't aware of this, but if you've been here at least one week, you know we are in a series called No Perfect People Allowed. And every, all, all of the last few sermons that we've talked about, it's pretty evident that we are either on one end or the other of the spectrum of, I think I have it all together, my life is great, I've never sinned a day before, or I am the absolute worst wretched sinner that has ever existed and God, there's no way God could use me. And it's in the last few weeks, we've made it pretty clear that we all end up somewhere in the middle, perfectly able to be used by God, but still having to address the issue of sin in our lives and our need to want to appear perfect, but we're not, and it's this really difficult thing. So that's what we get to talk about today. We started the series off with Adam, so right from the get-go, we see the very first person to have ever existed was not perfect. And then we talked about Jacob, who was an absolute disaster, a liar, a deceiver, wrestled with God just this huge big mess. Jacob was a disaster. Then Moses, who was literally a murderer and was able to deliver the Israelites. God uses imperfect people. And the one we get to talk about today is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. When I, the very first time I ever preached, I preached at North Point, which is my Bible college. Well, the first time I preached to people over the age of 11, that is. And the dean of our school always um, introduces who is speaking, and it's really fun and exciting when it's a student because you usually have a pretty strong personal relationship. And I was his babysitter from way back when, so we go way back. So I was like, this is going to be cool. He's going to say good things about me. It'll be great. And he compares me to Rahab the prostitute as he's introducing me and was just like, what? What? After everyone calmed down from laughing hysterically at being compared to Rahab the prostitute, he went on to explain how she was known for her faith, not just for being a prostitute. And that's what he was comparing me to, not the prostitute part, but the faithful part, which I sincerely appreciated. So that's my connection to Rahab. And I just want to tell you guys a little bit about who in the world is Rahab the prostitute. Her story is found in Joshua 2. It is the entire chapter of Joshua 2. And then some in Joshua 6, and then all throughout the rest of Scripture. So I'm not going to read all of the chapter to you. I'm just going to summarize it, if that's cool with you guys. So the first thing we know, Rahab was a prostitute. That's probably the most dead giveaway when we're talking about Rahab. She was a native to Jericho. The reason Jericho is important is they, all the people in Jericho were not serving the Lord, had nothing to do with God, were um, incredibly sinful, and they were living in the area that God had promised the Israelites. So this is a problem. The Israelites are finally ready to take the promised land, and there's all of these people who are strong and sinful living there, Rahab being one of them, or one of the um, people in Jericho. We also learn in Joshua 2 that the, most of the people there were pretty familiar with what God was doing, like parting the Red Sea, delivering Israelites out of slavery, all of these incredible miracles that God was doing with the Israelites, and they were terrified. They tried to build up their armies and tried to be really, really powerful, and that was going to be their attempt at stopping the Israelites. So we see, so that was kind of the um, setup. We also know Rahab was very well known when 
there were spies that came in. The king knew exactly who to go to. He knew that Rahab that was um, hiding them, which means the king knew Rahab by name. That's a big deal to be known by the king. Or like uh, the equivalent would be like if President Trump had my cell phone number. I would, that would make me important, probably, I would imagine. So that's kind of where Rahab is in the social status. It also talks about how, not specifically in the text, but you can see just kind of based on circumstances, she was probably pretty wealthy. So she's well-known, she's wealthy. And there was also a study, and I don't know how accurate this is, I'll share it with you, take it for what it's worth, but it put Rahab in the top four of the most beautiful women of the ancient world. So Rahab's good-looking, she's well-known, and she's wealthy. She has a lot of things going for her. And the reason she makes it into scripture is because of what happens with her interaction with the Israelites. So the next question, what did Rahab do? Two spies came in to Jericho, and their goal was to scope out the land, figure out a plan for how they were going to take it over. They bump into Rahab somehow, some way, and she agrees to hide them from the authority figures in Jericho. The king somehow catches word, sends, spies, or sends government officials of some sort to Rahab and was like, where are the spies? We need to deal with this. This is a problem. And instead of being like, oh, I hid them on my roof, she's like, they went that way. Um, so the authority figures run out of Jericho, searching for them, probably planning to kill them. And all the while, they're hiding under a bunch of flax seeds on Rahab's roof. So they were able to make it back safely to the Israelites, report what was happening, and further establish their plan for taking over Jericho. Rahab, before she lets them go, asks, essentially, my life for your life. I spared your guys' lives. I helped keep you safe. I did not turn you over. When your God comes to destroy Jericho, please protect me and my family. Um, and they worked out a plan of how they would coordinate all of that, and that's exactly what God did. Something I think is interesting is it talks about how Rahab's house is part of the wall of Jericho because there's, they use the window to escape and she hangs something out the window to indicate that that's her house. But if you're familiar with the story at all, we know that the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. So I think that in itself is just kind of a testament to how faithful God is. And even in the midst of destruction, he kept Rahab safe, even though it would have made perfect sense for her entire house to be in shambles. Her and her family were saved because she chose to be faithful and listen to God. Most of the people in the Old Testament have these cool little stories about something awesome that they did, and then we never hear about them again. Rahab was different. We see her mentioned three other times in the New Testament, and that first time being in Matthew, we see her in the line of Jesus, which is a big deal. None of us, I don't think, were an ancestor of Jesus. Last I checked, anyway. Maybe you are. Who knows? Anyways, she made the cut to be part of the DNA that produced Jesus Christ. And Boaz was her son. Uh, King David, she was the great-grandmother of. And then Jesus Christ himself. Rahab was a big deal. So not only, yes, she was sinful, she was broken, and she was flawed, but God still chose to use her in one of the coolest ways I could think to be used, which would be being a part of Jesus' ancestry. After Matthew, we see her in James 2, and she's commended for her faith, but not just her faith, her response to her faith, which was protecting these spies and helping them escape and furthering the story of the Israelites. After James, we see 
her show up one last time in Hebrews, and I essentially would call this the like faith hall of fame. She is alongside of Moses and Abraham and Jacob, and then there's Rahab the prostitute. She made the cut on that list. That's a big deal. Rahab was a big deal, and God had really big plans for her. But I think what's interesting is that even after she was evidently serving God, she was still known as Rahab the prostitute. And you would think that somewhere through history, she would just get to be Rahab. And I'm sure she's up in heaven asking God, why am I still Rahab the prostitute when it was clear that I was serving you and that you used me in some incredible ways? Why do I still have to be Rahab the prostitute? I'm, if I were her, I would probably be asking a question like that. But I think just that in itself lends to our understanding of reputation. And if there's one thing that we know is reputation is a big deal, and we can come on one end of that and be obsessed with how people think about us, and our primary goal in life is pleasing people and making sure, trying almost to convince them that we are perfect, even though we know that we're not. But most of us dedicate our lives to trying to prove that, which that in itself is foolish, but it's hard to see it when you're doing it. Abraham Lincoln once said, character is like a tree, reputation is its shadow. Obviously, the shadow, I don't have a shadow right now, poor example. Your shadow is right there with you. It looks like you. It's caused by you, but it isn't you. And I guess to all of the middle schoolers and students in the room, if there's, only, if there's one thing you hear today, I want you to listen to this. What other people say about you is not who you are. God never once said that you were a loser. God never once said that you're not cool enough or that you're not good enough to be a part of something. Your reputation is not you. But on the other hand, our sin and the things that we do are what people see, and that's what they know us by. And they can know us by our good character, but they also know our flaws. And anyone who's married is probably pretty aware of this, that it's really easy to find someone else's flaw. And it could just be that one time they said that one thing, and you will remember that for the rest of your life. Reputation is a big deal. It's not everything, but it is huge. Rahab was called Rahab the prostitute from beginning to end, even after she was serving God. We have a reputation of imperfection, and God does not tolerate imperfection. He's not okay with our sin. That's terrifying because I'm sinful, and God is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing. He knows the deepest sins of my heart, and he's not okay with it. But he isn't some tyrant ruling deciding that we're not worth being used and we're too broken and we're not good enough. He had a way for us. If you guys want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5 or just look on the screen, it's probably more efficient. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. So there's a few things happening here. When we choose to have faith and believe that God is who he says he is, we get to be new. I, if here is old sinful Rachel, when I choose to believe who God is and what the Bible says is true, I get to come over here and be new, redeemed, free Rachel. I don't have to live in sin. In fact, I'm not supposed to. It's not who I am. I am not sinful. And yet we still seem to mess up. There's something about coming over here. There's something about engaging in pornography or arguing with um, a spouse on something completely trivial or screaming at a kid that seems to entice us. 
and we choose to be in sin. And that's not okay. God is not okay with that, and he did something about it. He reconciled us to himself through Christ. That means because Jesus died on the cross, we get to, be, we get to come over here and we get to be whole, even though sometimes we still wander over there and we choose to be sinful, we choose to mess up, even though there's nothing in us that forces us to sin. We still sometimes choose that over God. God, knowing this, still made a way for us. We don't have to be hopeless. We don't have to be ruled by our flaws and by our sins. God is a reputation changer. And our imperfect, sinful reputation with God can be changed in an instant. We get to admit that we need help, and he comes in rushing in because he's been waiting for us to do that our entire lives. He changes us in an instant. There's an old Jewish tradition about 100 years or so where they'd stick two different pieces of paper in their pockets, one on each side, and on one it says, I am but dust, and on the other one it says, the universe is made for me. And the issue that's addressing is essentially what I just explained, that we get to be free, we get to be new, we get to have a new name and a new identity in Christ, but sometimes we still wander over here and we make the bad choices, we do the sin, we are dust, we are imperfect, we are broken. But on the other hand, the universe was made for us. God specifically knit you together intentionally with, with time and thought because he had a plan for you. He created the entire universe to reveal that to you. From the smallest tree outside to the biggest star in the sky, God had a plan for you to know him. That is critical. Our reputation with God is the single most important thing in the universe. What God thinks of us and how he sees us is what matters. For our own sake. But for the sake of others, our reputation matters. Our reputation with people is immensely more challenging to change. Like I said, that one time you mess up, that's what people remember. Rahab built a legacy of being a prostitute. And that's what people remembered even after she was faithfully serving God. And that's not to say that being a prostitute is too far out of God's reach. For instance, look at Rahab. She did more, she did incredible things for God, bigger than I might ever do in my entire life. And her beginning was very humble and very far from God. So even if you're that far gone, it doesn't matter. That's, God is bigger than your sin. But when we choose to have a reputation of sinfulness, it directly impacts our influence and our witness. Our, I always tell the kids, our goal on earth here is to know God and make him known. And it really is that simple. God calls us to be in a close, intimate relationship with him and to invite others to do the same. Just like how the trees and the stars all show who God is, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I would hope that God would use me way more than he would use a tree to point to his glory. So that's why our reputation matters, because that's what God uses to help us win other people to him. Throughout this entire process, the idea of control just kept popping up in my head. And I just wasn't sure what to do with it. And it dawned on me, if I were in scripture and I was in Rahab's shoes, it wouldn't be Rachel the prostitute. It would be Rachel the control freak. I was reading my devotions a few weeks ago, and the very first thing it said was, and this is from God's perspective, is my heart is grieved by your independence. 
and I literally didn't even finish that. I just whipped out my journal, and God and I had this nice dialogue about how I constantly choose to be independent, um, away from God, doing things my way. And I guess, for instance, I have a friend who would always ask people who knew her, what, and describe me in three words. So we were having this conversation, and I asked another friend, I said, hey, describe me in three words. And he said, easy, strong, confident, independent. And I was like, ugh, okay, darn it. That's my attempt at masking my need for control. I'm strong, I don't need anyone. I'm confident, definitely don't need anyone. And independent, please don't help me. I can figure it out on my own. I don't want your help. And that, what they meant to be encouraging, hit me really hard. And I realized control is our attempt to avoid trusting people. I want to handle it on my own because I'm not sure you can help or I'm not sure you're not going to hurt me in the process. And then after we uh, recognize our need for not wanting to trust people, seeking absolute control is our way of telling God we know what's best for us. And can you imagine if you've ever had a two or three-year-old them coming up to you and saying, hey, thanks for all you've done these last two years. I'm going to go. I got this handled. That would never happen because they are dependent on you. And somehow we think we mature out of needing God. We do the exact same thing. Say, Lord, listen, you're really cool and all, but I've got this figured out. I don't need help. I know exactly what you want to do with my life, and I'm going to go do that on my own. And if maybe you wanted to come, that's fine, but don't get in my way. So this process has been looking at Rahab and her reputation. This is what it's made me realize, is I have a reputation for needing control. And even if I've masked that really well as coming across as confident and independent and strong, it's me hiding my sinfulness. And like we said, God's not okay with sinfulness. If I were to ask every single one of you guys in this room, what is your the? Not a single person would be able to say, perfect. I will never be able to say, I'm Rachel the perfect. And that is across the board for every single one of us. So my big question for you today is, what is your the? Are you the control freak? Am I in good company? For your sake, I hope not, but for my sake, I hope so. Because misery loves company. So are you the control freak? Are you the gossiper? Are you the doormat, the jerk, the short-tempered? Are you the one engaging with porn? Are you the lazy, the alcoholic? Are you the one that has to look successful, that cares way too much about your reputation, that it's ruining your reputation? Are you the micromanager? Are you the manipulator? Are you the self-absorbed, the insecure? Are you the one that's always competing and has to be the best? Are you the one obsessed with your phone? Are you the truth stretcher? Are you the jealous? I could go on and on and on and on. And I bet there's a list running through our heads right now of, wow, I am a control freak. I am lazy. I am not very disciplined. All of these different flaws and sins that we easily can identify in ourselves. And if you're sitting there thinking, I can't think of anything, ask your spouse. Don't tell your spouse what you see in them. Ask them. And if not, ask your child. They'll easily tell you with probably less tact than your spouse. But still, our sinfulness, our reputation either builds our witness or destroys it. And I'm not saying dig up all of the past sin that you have dealt with with God. Leave that where it is. You are a new creation. The universe was created for you. God has big plans. 
But every single one of us is not perfect, which means every single one of us has a the. And I don't know what that is or what that looks like or how that's impacting your influence, but I can promise you that it is in some way. Um, If I could have everybody stand. The first and primary reputation we need to address is our reputation with God. So if you guys could close your eyes. Jesus, I pray in these next few moments that you would speak to us and that you would make it abundantly clear what you're asking us to do. If you guys could just keep your eyes closed. If you're here today and this entire time you have been thinking about your reputation with God, who does God say I am? Am I his enemy? Am I opposing him? Am I far from God? Or have I made my relationship right? Have I committed to knowing him and to pursuing him? Do I believe in what he did? So if you're here today and you know that your reputation with God is not what it should be, if you want to slip up your hand. Wow. Hands everywhere, you guys. If we as a church can say this with um, our friends who've raised their hands, Jesus, thank you for choosing me. You saw my sin before I even did it. You know everything I've done wrong, yet you still desire a relationship with me. Since you don't tolerate sin, you made a way for me to know you. I believe you sent Jesus for me, for my sake. And I pray that you would help me serve you in any way you see fit. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a new reputation. I pray you'd help me to be faithful in that. Amen. So many people raised their hands. So many people fixed their reputation with God. Can we let him know how incredible that is? Thank you, Jesus. If you guys could close your eyes one more time. Maybe you're struggling to identify your the, whatever that is. This is what we do about it. We first search our hearts. We give God permission to point out our imperfections. And this is hard and this is painful, but it's necessary. We don't improve by neglecting our flaws. We first ask God to search our hearts. And once we find something that he's not okay with, we submit. We actively admit that we want God's help. So we search our hearts and then we submit. And then finally, we seek God. We seek his plan for that. It would be crazy for us to think that we just get to say, Lord, deal with this, and then move on with our lives. It takes us actively working with God to address our flaws and our failures. God is not okay with sin. And he wants to deal with us. And you're in good company. Every single one of us is flawed. There's not a single person in this room that gets to say, I am the perfect So if you're here today and you want to allow God to search your heart, can you slip up your hand? Say, Lord, I'm willing for you to point out my flaws. I'm willing to start dealing with this so I can be a better influence 
make a bigger impact. You guys can put your hands down. In just a few minutes, um, we're going to enter, in, not necessarily into a time of worship just yet, but a time of being quiet and allowing God to search our hearts. And I want you guys to find the spot where it's painful, where you say, Lord, I don't want to look at this. I don't want to look my sin in the face and do something about it. That's where I want us to get with Jesus today. Um, and you can do that wherever you want. If you're sitting next to someone who it's going to be hard for you to respond, move. The altars are open. That's where I'll be. Um, but God is not okay with our sins. And I'm going to pray, and I want you guys to just allow God to search your heart. Then we'll enter into a time of worship where we get to submit that to God. And then when you leave today, I want you to seek God. Seek what he wants you to do about it. If it's reconciling a relationship, if it's forgiving someone, if it's apologizing to someone, whatever it looks like to make your reputation something that looks like God, go for it. Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us in these few, next few moments. Thank you for identifying the sin in my life, and I pray that you would help me to address it. I pray that you would keep me humble enough to say, uh, to admit it and let you deal with it. But I pray that I wouldn't stop with submitting it to you, but that I would seek your plan and your will for all of the things, all of the flaws that I have. Thank you for surrounding me with people who are just as flawed as I am. And I pray that you would help each and every one of us to grow together. I love it. First of all, Rachel, you did a great job this morning. And uh, thank you for bringing the word. For those of us that have kids in Kids Church and uh, Gateway Kids, aren't you grateful for a great godly leader like Rachel? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I've listened to this message twice now, and especially second service here, I'm asking myself the question, why in the world do I care so much what other people think? You know, reputation is a big deal, Rachel said. But what God thinks is more important. And if I could take back all the time I've worried about what you think about me or what my neighbors think about me or my friends, what they think or whatever the case might be, I'd be redeeming a whole too many hours. We've got to consider what the Lord thinks. His idea. That was a big takeaway for me. The other thing, I really felt like it was a God moment for someone here, especially second service, is that God is a reputation changer, Rachel said. And some of you, someone here, maybe it's just one, you've been holding on to the fact that Maybe you were a drug addict or a pimp, or maybe you were a, you know, you were bankrupt and you lost everything, or maybe you're divorced and you're hanging on to that. And God, he wants just to speak new life, that you are not the sum of your past. You were God's son or daughter. You are prized you're a jewel.
God is a reputation changer. Lord, you are so good. And Lord, you are doing great things in our lives. We are embracing this truth that there are no perfect people allowed. That means it's good news for us, for each and every one of us from the front to the back. And Lord, I pray that you just continue to help us to, uh, to take that anthem, to take that truth and let it infiltrate our lives and our neighbors' lives and our families' lives. And Lord, help us just to live in that truth. And Lord, help us to remember to keep you first in all these things. Lord, go before us, behind us, and all around us. Go uh, for your glory and for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Turn and greet someone as you leave. God bless you as you go. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.